If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 15? For those of you I haven't met, my name is uh, Jeremy, and I'm one of the elders around here, and it's my pleasure to bring uh, to you a word uh, from our scriptures. Uh, while I'm doing that, uh, Ross Williamson is going to do a chalk drawing for us, and uh, spoiler alert, at the end we're going to turn the lights down, and uh, he's going to turn a special light up, and we'll be able to see a picture that will bring together some of the images that we are talking about today. In 2014, <coughs> Joe Blustein, with his brother and a bunch of mates, hired a 60-foot luxury yacht and went fishing off the coast of Miami. They had a wonderful day. They caught lots of fish. They told a bunch of stories, some of them true. The usual fishing day. At the end of the day, as they were coming back in, and night had fallen, and they had eaten, Joe's brother was up, and he was steering the boat as they were heading back into the coast. They still had a few hours to go, a couple of hours to go. The rest of them had fallen asleep. There was a bunch of beds and bunks, and they were able to, to, to skip down, and Joe hadn't quite fallen asleep at that stage, and for some reason, he hopped up on the deck... And while he was on the deck, he went to grab a bucket, which was quite full. And as he grabbed the bucket, he lost his balance, and he fell overboard. Nobody saw, nobody heard, and he knew that. And so he's in the ocean there, and he watches the lights of the boat disappear over the horizon. And he realizes they will not know that he is missing until they reach the shore. That's a long time away before they even figure it out. And when they figure it out, then they've got to decide, well, where did we lose him? And where do we begin to find him? Being lost at sea is a phrase that we will have heard, and throughout history there have been tens of thousands who have been lost at sea. The ability to find them is very difficult, and it is only in recent times that we'll talk a little bit more as we go through that we've grown in our ability to find people. Every day just in America alone, 10 people need to be rescued on average. Of those... Uh, about three of them won't be found in time and they will die. Let's just imagine Joe there lying in the ocean and he ain't a good swimmer. He said, I couldn't do two widths of my little pool in my backyard. Kind of meets the definition very good of being lost. And this, we'll come back to Joe's story, by the way, just in case you're worried. Joe, um, in this description of lostness, though, I want, when we come to Jesus, it's very important that we take Jesus on his terms, not on the terms that we want to bring into it. And when we're in, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and a very key phrase in the Gospel of Luke is this concept of being lost. In fact, Jesus says, I came to what? Seek and 
save the lost. So I need to understand what Jesus is meaning by that term, the lost, what he's meaning by the term seek, and certainly I need to understand what the word save means. Because if, if you have any interest in Jesus or say anything about being a follower of him, then we come on his terms. So what's he meaning by lostness? He uses it in a number of places. So in Luke 15, he tells these three stories, well-known stories. First one is this, he has a shepherd and there's a hundred sheep. And he's counting one day and he realizes that he gets the 99. He counts again, there's still 99. There's one that's lost, missing, in danger. Like you're a lost sheep in those days, right? There's wolves that are going to get you. And it says, there's a whole lot of questions about why does he leave the 99? Does he leave them with somebody else? The story doesn't tell us. But somewhere he leaves the 99 that are somehow in safety to pursue the lost one. And the idea of him telling that story is that it's this idea that God wants to go after those who are lost. God has a propensity to go, there's lost people in the world and I'm after them. I want to go and find them. I want them to be found. I used to play hide and seek with my kids when they were younger. And um, uh, it was always entertaining. You know, when they're being a bit rowdy, you say, let's play hide and seek. I'll count to a million and you go hide. And uh, it was quite good when they're young and they don't know what a million means. One of my children, they loved to hide and they would stay hidden for a very long time. But one of my other children, it wouldn't be very long and they'd be calling out, I'm in here. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you don't get the game. <clears throat> but actually she did. Because the joy wasn't in staying hidden, the joy was in being found. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. When you're lost, the joy is in being found. And God is wanting to find you. He's after you. Second one is a woman who loses a coin. It says she sweeps around the whole house until she finds the coin. And then it says, when she finds it, what does she do? And it's a valuable coin, not like $2 here. Like it must have been, had a high value in it. She finds this coin. What does she do? She brings in all her neighbors and brings them in and she has a great celebration. And Jesus is telling this to raise this up. We're going, not only does God go after them and find them, there's a celebration in heaven when that happens. This is what he says at the end of it. So, so in the same way, I tell you, just as this woman is excited and wanting to tell everybody about it, there is rejoicing over one sinner who repents. So we see here a little hint here of what it is. Lostness is associated with this idea of sin or being a sinner. We'll explore that as we go along. And to be saved is one who repents. There's a third story in this sequence, and uh, it's a famous story of a father, and he has two sons. And the idea is both of them are lost. We often talk about it as the prodigal son. There's one who's lost, but actually there's two. One is lost because it says, I want your, I want your stuff, and I want to go away and live my own way. And we get that on a whole big lot of levels, right? Running away from God and saying, God, I'm not interested. I want to live my own way. But there's another son who's lost, and that son stays around and, and behaves and works for dad and does all those kinds of things. But 
when the son who ran away comes back and dad kills the fattened calf and has a big celebration, goes, they're back. The older brother is like, because this is what oldest children are like, the older brother is like, what are you doing? I was here all along serving you and you don't give me anything. And Jesus is saying there's a lostness that you can have in a religious thing where you think God owes you. I do good. I'm a good citizen. I pay my taxes. Whatever you can, however you kind of frame it. I don't lie very often. I don't steal very much. However you frame it, right? You, you often weigh the good and the bad and you say, well, I do more good than bad. And so you think when you get before God, he'll say, well done, you know, in that balance, your good was better. What Cobbus was saying before, it reminded me of a survey they did in the States. 75% of people in America believe in a place that we might refer to as hell, right? Only 4% of people think that's where they will go. Right? So we think there's an idea of justice or judgment or something kind of beyond that weighs up sort of good and bad and sits in that place, but we think we're good. We think we're okay. And Jesus is saying, no, we're all lost. We're lost in different ways, but you're still lost if you're away from God. And then at the end of that, he says this, and there's the famous painting from Michelangelo and there's the father embracing the son and there's uh, the religious people kind of sitting around condemning what's going on here. And Jesus just says this, well, this is the father. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, right? And is found. And so we see two dimensions here in this idea of lostness. There's both a relational sense that I'm away from the relationship that I should be part of. There's a creator, there's a father who I am absent from. We're saying those words, there's a great chasm that's sat between us. There's something that, that is blocking that relationship that would be there. This is lostness, he says, in this place. But he said we had to celebrate when somebody returns and is found again. The next one he comes across as he tells a story that we learned a couple of weeks ago about Zacchaeus. Do you remember that? And Zacchaeus is up the tree, wants to see Jesus. Jesus says, I'm coming to eat at your house today. They go there and Zacchaeus is convicted in his very being and says, we would call it repentance. He says, I've been wrong. And there's people that I know of that have wronged and even other people that I don't really know of who have wronged. I've got very wealthy off the back of this stealing. And he says, I'm going to pay it back. And Jesus says, salvation's come to this house. Zacchaeus is saved because of this change that he sees internally that results in an external behavior. And at the end of that, he says this, what we talked about before, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, his purpose in coming was to go after, to seek, and to save the lost thinking in a relational setting, some of you may have seen this. In the recent uh, cyclone that went through in Esk Valley in the Hawke's Bay, um, incredible destruction, the, the, the floods came up really fast. And there's two brothers who uh, lived near each other in the Esk Valley, 
And uh, during the day, they'd seen each other. Um, they were aware of some of the warnings, but nobody had any real idea in that sense of what was going to happen. And so they'd seen each other and then gone back to their own homes. One of the um, brothers in the house that he's in, you'll see that house there, the floodwaters came up to the ceiling. He had to bash through the ceiling, and they were in the roof space in the dark as these waters rose. It's quite a frightening thing as you hear it. But imagine being the brother who knows that's happening to his brother's house. He's rescued by um, some, uh, some Māori boys who grabbed their boat and decided we can do something here and they rowed up and they rescued a whole bunch of people and this particular family was rescued out of the ceiling and taken to a space but the brother still didn't know. And so there's a video um, that one of the media agencies got of when they find each other. And it's quite extraordinary. I don't know these guys, but I, I, I don't presume that they're prone to watching rom-coms and weeping at um, the drop of a hat. But they come and they embrace and they weep. But there's two things they say which I thought were amazing. The first one was this. Oh, I'm going to choke up. He said, I thought I'd lost you. I thought I'd lost you. The joy of finding each other. The joy of restored relationship. And the other one said a little bit later when he was being interviewed, he said, it was the best moment of my life. Now think about that phrase for a minute. If I asked you what your best moment of life, you, you could come up with all sort of celebratory sort of things that you would go to, but for him this idea that his brother who he loved would be lost and he had the joy of finding him was the best moment of his life. I think that's what the Bible is saying. We're lost. God wants to find us and there's great joy for him who finds us and we're meant to have great joy in being found. Right? Let's build on this a, a little bit because I, I want us to think about what this means. So a lot of people talk about uh, that human beings have a lot of uh, essential needs. A need is something that is necessary for me. If I don't have it, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to go after it, Right? So you see a whole lot of these like significance and security and agency and progress. And he, he defines all of them. This is, a, a, did I say it was Richard Black, um, uh, who's based down in Christchurch, a really good thinker, doing a lot of work uh, amongst Christian churches and raising up pastoral care. He breaks them into this inner world, outer world, and influence. But I just want to look at two of them. Remember, these are a need. Something that is a necessity for me that if I don't have it, I'm going to pursue it somewhere. And the first one I'm going to raise is this idea of belonging. Belonging is to know where I fit and that I am accepted and loved. Would you agree that is a need of the human heart? Absolutely. Interestingly enough, he doesn't talk about identity quite in that same way. We talk a lot about identity as this individualistic thing that I sort of find, and then I have to have it affirmed that, that sits sort of outside. He sort of more thinks in this idea of belonging, which I think is correct. 
to know where I fit and that I am accepted and loved. Now, we can find that to some degree in our relationships and our things that sit here in the world, but it's always imperfect and it is prone to being fragile. That is, if someone breaks relationship with me in some way, and there's a million ways that that happens, then what happens to my sense of belonging? Is there a place where I can find belonging that is stable, that never changes, that's always present, always with me, always knows that I am accepted and loved? Now keep that thought in your back of your mind because if you don't have it, that would be one part of being lost. There's a second one that I want to look at, and this is this idea of um, innocence. And this is often missing, I think, in a lot of ones where they talk about what the needs of humanity are. When I first saw it, I wrestled with it. What does he mean by this as a necessity? But I think he's right. He's saying innocence is this idea that I am not under condemnation or shame. I'm at fault, but I'm not a faulty person. You see, when we stop and we reflect back on our lives, everybody has the sense of some shameful things or some things that they are guilty about or things that they're at fault with. And to, to try and think of ourselves as not a faulty person, we, we, do, we have some little psychological things that we sort of do to, to make ourselves still feel that innocence that sits here. And we say, well, it wasn't really my fault. It was a situation that I was part of, right? That's, that's one that we would do, wouldn't we? Or we would go, yeah, I did that, but that was, that was back when I was, you know, naive and, you know, I had some stuff kind of going on. But, but look at all these good things that I'm doing now and sitting in this place. But, but we're kidding ourselves. We're absolutely kidding ourselves. If I stood before my creator, God, who made me, and I went with those excuses, well, I, I wouldn't even start because I, I know they're pitiful. So there's this sense here that we need rescuing because we're lost. And we need a way to have these things, these needs that sit in our lives, permanent and stable and complete. And that's why we're looking at the cross, because that's where we find it in Christianity. I mentioned that um, Joe fell off the boat in 2014. If he had fallen off the boat any time before the year 2007, he would not have made it. Oh, there's a spoiler in it. He makes it. He wouldn't have made it. There's, there's a very specific reason why he makes it. There was a, a public servant by the name of Art Allen. You would never have heard of him unless somebody found this story and but he was looking at this idea of the search and rescue stuff and he hit the stats and he was figuring out, well, how can we do this better? And so one day he went uh, near where he lived, to uh, Chesapeake Bay, and he was with the search and rescue team. And he was there one morning when uh, an alert came in that a boat with a family on it had capsized. And he watched as this guy pulled his computer up and got the software that they had to help locate them. And his first warning was the software pulled up a map of a bay in China. 
So he suggested to the guy that maybe he firstly find America and then they work from there. And essentially what the system was at that stage was you would find the last known position and then it really was a bit of guesswork from there. During that day, he listened in as they sent out all the rescue, various rescue things. Fortuitously, someone else came across them, not the search and rescue people, came across this capsized boat. He had learned about that family, and one thing that just struck him to his core was the family on that boat, the wife, the mum, was the same age as his wife, and the daughter was the same age as his daughter. They found them, and they took them to hospital, but the mother and daughter didn't survive. And the newspaper article was written, and he got that newspaper article, and he took it home, and he put it on his clipboard, and he said, we've got to have a better way of doing this. And so sometime when he was in his government pay and often when he was doing it in his private time, he did this. He just took hundreds of objects and he threw them into parts of where he lived in the bay and he watched where they drift. And a person drift, will drift different whether they're wearing a life jacket or not. A kayak drifts different from a boat. Every object drifts in different ways. And he did this hundreds of times and worked out an algorithm that you could find the last known location and look at the, the currents and the winds and work out a way to find somebody. Joe's still swimming in that ocean. Six hours later, he's cramping. Cramps in one leg first. <laughs> Starts rubbing his leg, trying to get the blood back in it, try to keep it moving. Starts cramping in the other leg and he wonders how much longer he's got and he starts making plans. Interestingly, he had been brought up in a Christian home but he wasn't walking in the way that a Christian should and he knew it. And it's a fascinating story because the person who does the, I heard it first on a podcast, the person who's doing the interview is, is certainly not a Christian. <laughs> he's pretty hard agnostic, maybe even an atheist. But he's listening to this guy go, I prayed to God and I, I felt a sense of God's presence with me. And I had these seagulls come along and every now and again they just flick past in a very close space and I, I, I just was hearing that God was in that place rescuing me and restoring me in my soul. Joe needed a way, and this guy was figuring out a way to rescue the people. How do we get away from our lostness? It's the cross. Now, the cross can be quite hard to understand. Why is it that somebody has to die in my place? Well, I think of it in two ways. It's about sacrifice. And the first level is we understand sacrifice. Every one of you, any relationship that's of any consequence to you, if I asked you about it, would be based on the fact that somebody sacrificed in your relationship space and that's how you know that they care for you and that they love you. Whether it's a parent, right, and a child reflects back and sees all that a parent has done over their lifetime. Often not when they're a teenager. It usually starts to happen when they're 20s, right? 
What, what about it's a, a coach at school that sacrifices their time and comes alongside and builds you up? What if it's somebody, a youth group leader who just takes time out of their week and comes in and does something? You know what I'm talking about. Giving up of something for the sake of somebody else is the basis for our relationships. We warm to sacrificial love. And so there's a level in which it's a sacrificial love that God is showing that he cares for us. But there's another layer. The next layer is this. Sacrifice is critical in reconciliation. If you're going to restore anything between two parties, someone's got to take the cost. Someone's got to bear the sacrifice. Forgiveness is someone bearing the cost of something that somebody else has done. How do you do that in an ultimate sense? Well, Jesus says, I know how to do it. I will come not giving up my divinity, but living my life here on this earth, living it in a perfect way, and then giving my innocence on the cross, but coming under God's anger, as Corbus talked about before, so that I take that, and the condemnation and shame that would be due to me is taken by Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we can be declared innocent that if Jesus was able to do it. Now we have a way of being rescued from our lostness. Joe's leg, other leg cramped up. And just as he was really about to give up, he sees a light on the horizon. He knows that it's a search and rescue boat. He fortuitously has an incredibly loud whistle <laughs> and whistles and yells. It's still pitch black. It's early hours of the morning. And this boat is able to hear and then to see with the light and to pull them up. They called it a miracle. There's two miraculous parts of it, actually. One is because somebody provided a way that people could be found. Joe says there's another miracle because he knows that God was in behind it. And now he goes around living the life of Jesus Christ and telling other people, about the good news of Jesus Christ. Where does it sit for you, though? Here's what you need to do. This is Jesus in Luke 24, and he's telling his disciples before he's head, heading off, this is after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he says this. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer. That's Jesus and rise from the dead on the third day to show that what he did on the cross was miraculous. And this is a repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. That's what you're called to do. When you're lost, all you need to do is call out and repentance just changed my mind. God, I got it wrong. God, I am lost. God, I don't know where I belong, and I don't know why I've still got this guilt and shame. Well, actually, I do. It's because I rejected you, and all these things are a consequence of it. And Jesus says, I know. Do you know what? I've provided a way. And you can come through that way by repenting. 
Just say you've got it wrong. Understand what I have done on the cross. And then you have acceptance, you have belonging, and you have innocence. The great needs of our humanity. I'm going to leave this verse up, and we're going to turn all the lights off now. If those guys who are, are going to do that, please could do that. And um, I'll talk just for a, a very brief little bit, and then I'm just going to leave a little bit of silence as you see the, the chalk drawing here that gives us beautiful imagery of what has gone on. And we appreciate it more as the, the lamp brings up the beautiful colours that are sitting in it. Maybe you're somebody who has been found in Christ. Celebrate. The joy of being found. The great danger that you were in in your lostness. But you have been found in Christ. You are accepted. Maybe some of you here today, when I was talking about that lostness, that being away from God, you're still there. You need rescuing. Right at this moment, I encourage you to think, there's a way. Jesus Christ has provided this way. It just requires for you to repent in the depth of your soul and understand that forgiveness for your sin, for your rebellion, is available through the person of Jesus Christ. Today is that day for decision-making. Because you don't know when your life will end, when this world will end, and you will stand before God, and he will ask you a very simple question. What did you do with the message that my son Jesus Christ brought to you? Let's sit in silence for a moment, and then I'll pray to close our service. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you looked down and saw us in our lostness. That we had fallen away from the beautiful relationship that we have with you as our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior. Lord, we were lost and had no hope of being found, and yet you came, Jesus Christ, with a way a way back to the Father, a way back to restoration of relationship, of our sin forgiven, that we are restored, that we belong, that we have innocence. Thank you for taking our condemnation and shame on your, on your body on that cross, Lord, bleeding, sacrificing to show that you care and that you love us. Father, there's people here in this room that are still lost, Father, would you help them to understand that right at this moment, there is a way back. Just like Joe was in that ocean, not knowing where rescue could be found, and then he saw that light. There's a light there that they need to call out to. Lord, would you just speak to them right now? May, may they respond. Thank you that you are a God who delights in finding and restoring. What a beautiful picture that is. May we be blessed this week as we remember the joy of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mm. That's the end of the service. We're going to turn the lights up a little bit.
But if you have something that you want to talk to of what we've spoken about today, then please come up the front and talk about it. Maybe you have been rescued out of being 